Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast. As I get older, I become passionate about finding the best ways to refresh the mind, refuel the body and rebuild strength so that I can keep doing what I love into my 60s and 70s. If you've got similar goals to me, then I hope you'll continue to join me each week as I bring you amazing guests from around the world, all with the goal of helping you to improve your sporting performance, regardless of whether you're a triathlete, an ocean swimmer, an ultra runner, or a gravel racer. On this week's show, I'm joined by my old friend, Tim Hemming, and a man you're going to hear a lot of in the next few weeks, Sam Perkins. In Nottingham on May the 15th, keen triathlete Sam Perkins will attempt to cross the finish line one more time in the Outlaw Half Triathlon. The 40-year-old triathlete from Eastleigh was diagnosed with motor neurone disease in 2019 and is restricted to a wheelchair and relies on a ventilator to breathe. But with the help of friends and family, Sam's determined to join around 2,200 competitors to complete the tough but popular challenge at home Pierpoint around five miles from Nottingham city centre. By the way, you will hear a mechanical sound each time Sam speaks, and that is his ventilator. You might find it a little irritating at first, but I can assure you, it's much worse for Sam. I will say, this is an amazing interview. I can guarantee you'll be inspired. And like me, you might even shed a tear or two. Anyway, let's just hear from Sam. Welcome to the show, Sam Perkins and Tim Hemming. Thank you very much, Simon. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having us. You're welcome, Sam and Tim. Nice to see you back on the show. You, I think uh, yeah, you probably do. You probably do. Yours. You probably do hold the record now for the most number of attendances on the show. Um, <laughs> Dan, Dan Plews will be wanting to knock you off that spot soon, though. I'm sure he will. I'm sure it's the top of his wish list. So, Sam, um, Sam Perkins, Nottingham Forest fan. That's the first thing I want to talk about today. Nottingham Forest fan. And yeah, it's, it, it's. Are you going to make it back to the Premier League this year? It feels um, disturbingly likely. Disturbing. Which, who, uh, disturbing for who? For not Forest fans or everybody else? Uh, Forest fans is is because it's that it's that sort of disbelief around it. I think. Yeah, but because I'm about forty now, where uh, you kind of think there are you know there are guys in that stadium who are in their twenties and they've never seen it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it it's it feels like it's quite likely, which it when, definitely wasn't at the start of the season. When, when was the last time they were in the Premier League? Nineteen ninety nine. So they did. So they have played in the Premier League, haven't they? Yeah. Yes, I mean, we we were uh, one of the founding teams, and uh, also mm-hmm. hold the record for the, the highest league finish of any promoted side. Right. Okay. Well, they'll be going some to match the previous um, feat of the Nottingham Forest promoted side, weren't they, in the Brian Clough era that went from promotion to champions in one season? Yes, and then and then followed that with uh, back-to-back European Cup victories. <laughs> they we did. Don't, don't want to be accused of living in the past. Is that true? No one's ever mentioned that before. <laughs> well, you, you need to watch the documentary, Tim, that, uh, that, that I've been watching um, I believe in miracles because that documents the whole Brian Clough era. And I, I, honestly, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten about that, that um, promotion to champions winning. I hadn't forgotten about the double um, European cup victories, but what I had forgotten was just what a strong side they had. 
Um, a lot of a lot of what we called underrated players, but when I think back now, they were legends, weren't they? Kenny Burns and Archie Gemmell and Tony Woodcock. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, you think you feel quite privileged as a Forest fan. I think mm. I think those of us that are honest with ourselves, they, there is no other club of our size that has that kind of history, and it's just a fluke, really. Well, uh, Forest have been out of the Premier League probably about the same. I can't remember when Leeds went down to the championship um but obviously they got promoted a couple of years ago and um a lot of a lot of my friends were saying you know they'd got sons who would been watching Leeds and they said they've never seen them in the Premier League and if if Covid carries on and we don't get any supporters into the stadiums they may not be able to go to Ellen Road to watch them in the Premier League because they thought they were they all thought well a lot of them thought they were going to get relegated in that first season yeah thankfully fans are back thankfully uh we seem to be learning to live with COVID and um, yeah, it'd be, uh, it, it would be amazing to see them play the Premier League, um, you know, especially because we, we seem to have picked up a good nap of, nap of being able to beat Premier mm. League teams, teams this season. So maybe we can carry that on. Well, are you going to get Derek, are you going to get automatic promotion? Because I know Fulham have got one of the spots already, mm. haven't they? And Bournemouth were looking quite strong in second. Um, I think it's very unlikely, but I think if we win every game that we've got left, we've still got a chance because we have got to play Bournemouth. So, right, okay, well, let's um, we'll have a better idea when we get to the outlaw, won't we? It might might be um, cut and dried by then. It, yeah, well, we'll either have, uh, we'll either be up or hopefully we'll be in the middle of the playoffs. Okay, well, let's let's talk with about a, it with a trip to Wembley to look forward to, then Sam, and then. Uh... Three seasons in the Premier League, yeah? Autumn, winter and spring. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know very what? good, very you know good, Tim. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, very good. You've been practising that one, haven't you? Not the most original gag, admittedly. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's get off football then and start talking about triathlon. Um, you're not new to the outlaw, of course. You have completed the full. Um, uh-huh. and, and just before we started this call, you were reminding me that we've met before. I, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's impossible to remember everybody that you call across the finish line each year. Um, but we had more of a chat than that, didn't we, after the, after the race briefing? Oh, Simon, before you, um, before you jump into the outlaw, a better segue from Nottingham Forest to triathlon. Ask Sam what kit he wore for his first triathlon. Oh, you've, you've asked him that already. Go on. Tell us, Sam. So I... Um... I wore my uh, my Nottingham Forest shirt for the uh, bike and the uh, run leg for my very first triathlon. And I I did that because the head coach of my tri club was a big Leicester fan. <laughs> so I just I just thought he'd wind him up, see me uh, see me shuffle around the run course, and did it? Uh, did seem to? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Are you, are you going to be doing the Outlaw Half in your Knott's Forest shirt then? We can't say Knott's Forest, you know. Can't you? Uh, no, it's, it's Nottingham Forest. Okay, I'm, I apologise. So, point, there are certain, certain segments that get really, really wound up by that. Not me, you're not bothered. Noted. I, I noted. I do. I do remember when I was a little boy. You know, I was obsessed by football then, and I, I was talking about Man United, and my dad pulled me up and he said. Where is this city called Man that you refer to? He said they are Manchester United. Mm-hmm. I, all right, Dad. 
Yeah, I'll have a word yeah. with Gary Lineker next time he mentions it on, uh, <laughs> on Match of the Day. Um, okay, so back to triathlon. We, we met in 2016, didn't we? We did, yeah. I, um, I had been following some of your videos in front of your whiteboards in my uh, in my training in the run up to the event and uh, after the briefing just came up to the front and said uh, kind of just said thank you for your hints and tips and it was one of those where I think it's a bit bit of a strange experience for you because you obviously do these videos to loads of people but never see the faces looking back so it's like one of those moments where I felt like I knew you but you didn't have a clue who I was yeah. so I like, thank you ever so much Simon and you went uh, what for <laughs> it wasn't that like the briefing wasn't that interesting <laughs> <laughs> well we do try to make it more interesting we have a we try to have a few little jokes um, I, I think some of my friends used to come down that, that might have been one of those years where I used to have some friends that came down to do the race and they would try and catch you out by ringing your phone um, while the briefing was on, and Ian and I had this rule that if anybody's phone rang, they had to do 10 press-ups. And somehow, somebody managed to turn my phone onto loud. And, uh, while we were talking, it went off, and so I had to do 10 press-ups in the front. front of the <laughs> to be fair to Simon, I think the briefings have improved over the years. I did the Outlaw back in 2012, and I think it went on longer than the race. <laughs> yeah, we, we've, we've tried our best to cut it down to... Uh, um, we have a 45-minute timer now. We don't always get to that one, but I think that's probably... Um, Ian does like to tell you about every little hazard on the road, including how many cans of orange paint he's used and everything to spray the potholes of Nottingham. Well, you know what? That is it's kind of joking aside. That's it's one of the things that's always separated the outlaw for me. Those extra little details of where they go above and beyond. I think it's just... Uh, I remember riding around because I actually live near the bike course, and if you go out for a last, mm-hmm. one last training ride, you've had all your potholes marked. Right. <laughs> Which was always lovely, yeah. You knew you weren't going to have a puncture. <laughs> well, well betide you if you crash into one on the training day, then. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but what did you? What did get you into that first triathlon, then, regardless of what shirt you wore? Yeah. First triathlon, um, so I was about 28. I didn't really have a... Um, an athletic history, if you like. I uh, I was more interested in um, going all over the country, watching Nottingham Forest and uh, drinking beer and smoking cigarettes with my mates. And I um, I was sat in the uh, in the pub, funnily enough, with my stepdad Nick. Um, Christmas of I don't know two thousand eight, something like that. And um, I was quite a big guy. I was about 18, 19 stone. Um, struggled to run for a bus. And um, I was just talking about wanting to get a bit fitter and to to do something to like help me feel a bit healthier. Um, and he had heard of a local triathlon club. Uh, called For Life, which uh, we, I mean, they're quite well known to the Outlaws. They always run one of the feed stations, one at the top of the lake. Um, and he said, well, why don't we um, go down to For Life in the new year and you can see 
what you think of it. And um, I, yeah, I, uh, I've got a bit of a background in swimming as a kid. So the water certainly held no fear. Uh, but just talking about it, the sport him that night, it just seemed like such a ridiculous endeavour. <laughs> you know, because I really knew nothing about the sport and he would tell me, you do this far swimming, then this far biking, then this far running, and I'd go, what on what separate days? Or, yeah. I, you know, at that time, like running 10K to me was was quite ridiculous. That was a huge challenge. So to do it after you'd done 25 miles on a bike was just even more ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, and that, he kind of really pushed me to get to get into the to give it a go i think mm -hmm. he went with me to that first training session in the new year and um i think one of the things that i'd been worried about on the way to that was kind of being a bit laughed at by a room full of super fit people you know who's this fat beer monster he just walked in and thinks he's going to run and swim with those guys. But, I mean, as we all know, those of us who've spent time in the sport, that, you know, it just doesn't happen in triathlon. It's welcoming to to everyone because I think you get to understand when you've done it mm. that the vast majority of people who are doing it are only, they're only challenging themselves. Mm. And we all we all support each other in that endeavour. Um, and, yeah, so kind of went to my first club session in January, did my first sprint race in the March of that year and um, was third to last. But just the feeling crossing the finish line, that was it. I was just up straight away at that sense of um, achievement and uh, seeing what it meant to the people around me and stuff was uh, was really special. So yeah, I was I was all over it straight away. Well, you say it sounds ridiculous to go from um, football supporting drinker and smoker sitting in the pub talking about it to doing a a, a standard distance triathlon. But I've you know, and Tim probably does as well. Um, could reel off a whole list of names of people who've gone from that sort of start right up to doing their first outlaw distance event in in within a year. So that that, that uh, you know that that would probably be thought of as an even more ridiculous notion, but it is possible. And I suppose you know to pinch the Iron Man phrase, anything is possible if you uh, or if you can dream it, you can dream it and believe it, you can achieve it, can't you? So there's lots of there's lots of uh, overused cliches around this but really it's down to having a bit of a goal and uh, and, a, and a desire and 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 then just being consistent with your approach it is i think it, listening to sam talk though also um well you know you and i simon we obviously both talk to a lot of triathletes we work in the sport so it will in it every day but it just brings back that perspective of for the people that when they first get into the sport mm. that first initial decision to make that jump that's that's a that is a big that's a big step when you're talking about a, a 10k run and you know we call that short distance in triathlon well it, it's just not, not for most people out there it's actually a really long way and the idea of even swimming biking running together and just mm. 
listening to Sam now, it just takes you back. We were all like that at one stage, yeah. weren't we? And Absolutely. there are so many people in that who are just starting out who I think will, will share some of those emotions. It's too easy to move beyond that and forget them. And then you start mixing in triathlete circles, if you like, and it all becomes normal. But the reality is that, you know, this is, these are huge jumps and changing lifestyle and change your life. Yeah, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast talking about that whole thing about what's what's normal in our brains versus actually what is normal. Um, but we've got we've got some different stuff to talk to, about today, Sam. So you 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 had that journey. You went from your first triathlon. You did outlaw. I'm I'm interested to know how we got to this point where you're at now as somebody who's suffering from motor neuron disease. Um, when when did you start noticing that that there was a change in your health? And, and actually, because we, we probably all go through challenges to our health at some point and think, well, I'm a triathlete, you know, I'm invincible, so it'll sort itself out. W at what point were you then prompted to do something about it? Um, so after Outlaw in 2016, I had a year off triathlon the next year. I didn't have a, a year off doing, doing anything but kind of biking or anything. I'd still exercise. Yeah. 2018, I was like, right, I'm going to do. Uh, I think I signed up to Holcomb Half actually, mm -hmm. um, and I started my kind of training in the winter. Felt fairly, fairly normal. I went on a skiing holiday in February and I had a bit of a nasty fall, hurt my shoulder a bit. Um, which stopped me swimming and i noticed that it, that injury really really wasn't getting any better so i was still able to do a bit of running and i was still i, I rode my bike quite a lot but it took into the year thought you know i'm not able to train enough to get to get able to do holcomb so i pulled out um, and as the year went on, it I didn't, I didn't feel my normal kind of progression in fitness. I was very much a seasonal athlete. I would give myself a very easy time over the winter, and then use late winter and the spring to really build my fitness up for the rest of the year. Um, and I just wasn't making those those gains, and I started to notice particularly on the bike that I was um, I was riding along and that link you have between how hard you work in your legs and how hard your cardiovascular system is having to work. So I felt like it was broken. So I wasn't working my legs particularly hard, but I was breathing like I was kind of climbing out doors or something. It, it uh, didn't make a lot of sense. So um, eventually, later in the year, I got myself started down the doctor's route because I had this kind of list of strange symptoms, um, you know, feeling weakness in my legs. Shortness of breath was getting more and more frequent. You know, just it. I felt like a hypochondriac, to be honest, going to the doctors. But this list of very strange symptoms, didn't know what was going on. 
And the first thing she said to me, she says, well, you're probably worried about promoting your own disease, but you, you don't have that because you're too young to have that. So put that out of your mind. We'll do some investigation and figure out what's going on. Um, and to cut a, a long story a bit shorter, six months after that, I things had progressed to the point where I hadn't really slept for three months because I wasn't able to uh, get enough oxygen into my lungs while I was lying down. So my body would wake me up. Uh, I was eventually admitted to hospital with uh, with pneumonia. Um, and I got into, went from there and went into critical care. And um, I'd undergone various tests over the intervening months. So I knew that there was something going on with my nervous system. Um, and I was I was diagnosed when I woke up in intensive care on the sixth of March, twenty nineteen. Wow, that's I, I'm I'm struggling to fathom how you know how you cope with having done something like the outlaw just a few years before. To then again, as I say, we all have challenges to our fitness where we go through things and we think, well, after COVID, maybe we've got long COVID and this and that. And the other. And then you get about sickness and you wake up and you're told. You have motor neuron disease. Um, you know, uh, if if it's well, too if it's too traumatic to tell me what your response was and how you sort of start to process that, I, I totally understand. If you can no, talk no. about it, then it, it you know it, I'd, I'd be interested to to understand how you managed to process that. No, I mean one of the things that I'm uh, very passionate about is um, spreading kind of the message as far and wide raising awareness you know I was faced with people after diagnosis who didn't know what it meant that I'd got MND um, and I want I'm quite passionate about changing that so I'm I'm happy to speak about it because you know it's traumatic but it happens every day mm. you know there's there's six people today who will find out well every day for the rest of the year and all of them will be told um, essentially there's nothing we can do for you other than try and make you comfortable uh, which having been a full outlaw finisher somebody who mm. has quite a lot of pride in their level of fitness quite likes it that people look at them and think they're not normal Um to go from that to you have an incurable disease. Mm. And we have no idea why it's happened. It's just, you know, a really bad, a really bad look of the draw. Um, I think that the, the very, the very short term reaction is, is just shock. And it's just, yeah, massive amount of shock. Can I just ask you, you say they've got absolutely no idea what causes it. So it's, have they any clue whether it's more likely to be genetic or some sort of autoimmune disease or is it, is it viral or is it something else? Um, so it's, yes, it's probably unfair to say they have absolutely no idea. There are a couple of genetic markers 
which they don't always lead to the disease, but they are more commonly found in people who who um, who suffer from it. But they only account for about fifteen percent of cases. Right. And there have been a lot of studies that have this noticed that there's an increased prevalence in people who are super fit. Um, but clearly that's um, the fact that there's a link. Clearly not everybody who does triathlon gets MND. So there's probably something genetic going on there in terms of if you've got certain genetic makeup and then you do kind of extreme sports where you have an elevated heart rate for a really long period of time, mm. then you're more likely to, to, deliver, to develop the condition. But the, 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 I mean, the point is that the, the research is such a, such an early undeveloped stage that um, we don't we just don't have enough answers at the moment. Um, we we do have listeners in other parts of the world. Is MND referred to by other names in different countries? Yeah, so the common one across the globe is uh, ALS. Okay. Uh, in the UK, we we refer to ALS as a type of MND, but it's become the dominant okay. dominant name in other parts of the world. Yeah. So, um, listeners who are um, from the US uh, or Australia or, or are familiar with Ironman might remember John Blaze, who um, went through similar challenges. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let. Um, Explain a little bit more about MND to me then um, in terms of what effect it has on your body and sort of how long, how long that, when they say there's nothing they can do for you, do, you know, do they give you a, a timeline or did just say, well, it's, it's open-ended, I'm afraid. Um, so what MND is, it is a uh, degenerative neurological condition. So it essentially stop you have two neurological circuits if you like in your body you have your sensory neurons that determine what you feel when like your sense of touch and you have your motor neurons which control the impulses from your brain that tell your muscles to move uh, Motor neuron disease affects the motor neuron system, and it um, will eventually, in almost all cases, affect all of that system. So that will include uh, movement of all your limbs, um, your respiratory system, so the ability to move your diaphragm. And the ability to speak and to swallow. Uh, the only muscles it doesn't really affect are your eyes, even though they are under your voluntary control. Um, in terms of what it affects and when it affects it, that's one another one of the things that we don't really understand very well uh some people will have their speech affected first um clearly that hasn't happened in my case 
I was respiratory onset, which is uh, one of the most unusual. That usually happens last. So that's like 2% of cases. So uh, my wife loves to tell me that I have to be different. So <laughs> I couldn't just get something rare. I had to get a rare form of the red. <laughs> um, God, Jim. No, I was, I was just, just laughing. I mean, you, you were talking there, I suppose, around how it affects, but also uh, the speed that it affects Sam as well. Because when I, f- I first met you in, um, I believe, the middle of summer of 2019, where you had the challenge plan that you're going to go on, on and tell us about in a bit that's coming up at the Outlaw Half. But then, you know, having heard a little bit earlier in this chat, you know, you were diagnosed in the March, what did you say, March the 6th? And so yep. you, it, it, it was progressing rapidly at that time. You were already in a wheelchair. You were already on a, already on a ventilator then when I met you. And, yep. and, and since then, it seems to slow down a little bit. Yeah, so in terms of timescale, um, you asked, Simon, if I was given kind of expectation around time. They won't. Uh, very few people in clinicians will say to you, based on the symptoms you've got, we think you've got X amount of years or months. Um, But what they will do is give you generalised statistics. So a third of people die within one year of diagnosis. 50% of people die within two years of diagnosis. Um, And most, I think, um, I think it's, 90% 90% of people won't live more than 10 years, although I might have got that stat wrong. Um, so, and t- Tib's absolutely right that it, my condition progressed very rapidly for the first 12 months. When I was diagnosed, I was still getting out of my hospital bed, walking, taking myself, showering myself. You know, it was mainly my respiratory function and admittedly some limb weakness, but that had been affected, you know, to the extent that I uh, I famously tried to um, fix the curtains in my hospital room by uh, climbing up onto the windowsill and, uh, and fell off and was given a right telling off by one of the nurses. Which was, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether she was angry because, um, like, she could see how upset I was or that she had to do lots more paperwork. <laughs> but, um, either way, it was an error. And then, but then, you know, within 12 months, I was full time wheelchair, kind of probably 18 hours a day ventilator. <laughs> Whereas initially I was just using the ventilator to sleep and, um, you know, not able to feed myself, not able to brush my own teeth, not able to shower myself. It's like that had happened within 12 months. But then in the last two years, there's, you know, there's been progress. I'm not able to kind of hold my head up like I was. I've lost pretty much all movement in in my arms and legs. I'm still able to move them about a tiny bit, but nothing functional. Um, 
Yeah, my speech is still here. My breathing's pretty much the same. I'm still eating. I'm still drinking beer. You know, I'm so, but the problem is it's who knows, you know. Uh, it could it could decide to accelerate next, next week. We just don't know. So I, when I mean, you asked about coping as well earlier and after that initial shock, you know, I've, I've said to Tim before that I, you know, very much credit my wife, Emma, with kind of a very early change in mindset that she just had this determination that we were going to do whatever we wanted as long as it was possible. But the only way you, you fail to be able to do those things is if you don't plan. So if you don't think in six months I'm going to go on this holiday, then you won't go on it. But you have to accept that you might plan to do that and then find yourself five months down the line and go, actually, I can't do that. And the, so that's difficult to get over. But actually, the positivity of having the intention to plan that has been really helped. It's been a really big crutch, actually. One of the things that you turned your attention to early on, and perhaps you could also say why, because you've given a few hints as to why you've done it in what you just said, but it was you started the charity. You know, and that was soon really after diagnosis. So maybe if you can say why you decided to do that, and then also some of the things that you've done, because one of the things that really jumps out for me about the challenge that you're going to do at the Outlaw is this was all planned two years ago and COVID came in and everything had to be put on hold. And at that time, I mean, I don't know what you thought, but I thought, you know, perhaps this is never going to go ahead. So then, but then you still, and you can explain, but you, you still pivoted with that charity work to focus on other creative outlets. So perhaps if you could, yeah, just say, Sam, why you, why you turn your attention so quickly to starting the charity? Yeah. So the charity, I mean, I kind of mentioned that um, there's a few things that happen after you get diagnosed. You try, you know, I'm a guy in my 30s. I've got quite a wide circle of friends and I quite got a lot of, uh, as I said earlier, responses of people saying, uh, what, what, what is MND? What does that mean? What does that mean for you? And then you then have to have the conversation that, it's terminal um, and it's the timescales are great and there aren't any treatments there is no imminent kind of cure on the horizon so that then led me to look into uh, how much it's spent on research treatments and cures and uh, I've spent my whole career working in getting funding for R&D and you kind of look at what the government's putting in and what charities are able to raise and it was just just pitiful amounts I mean 10 million quid a year doesn't sound like nothing but when you you know trying to find a cure for a neurological condition that's uh, it's woefully inadequate in my opinion and so through this network 
and friends and family, there's a lot of goodwill that comes your way. Um, there's a lot of tell us anything that we can do to help. Let us know if you need anything. Emma and I were quite fortunate in terms of being able to adapt our day-to-day lives to the coach in terms of the practical help that we needed. That wasn't enormous. So I kind of said after a few months to Emma, well, why don't we try and harness that goodwill into doing some fundraising and trying to make whatever difference we can to awareness and to the amount of money available for research. So we founded the charity and um, founded the charity within seven months, seven, eight months of diagnosis, I think. And to date, we have raised over £75,000. Um, which I'm enormously proud of, especially as to mention to have to do that through COVID because, you know, we hear from established charities all the time how difficult COVID has made it. But that's kind of all we've ever known. So we've, uh, we had to be creative from day one, really. So, We've done things like my mate who runs a brewery um, created a beer that uh, the proceeds of which go to the charity. Sam, Sam, you said you said you like to uh, continue to like drinking beer. Is that the only one you're drinking now? Oh no, I've got a very wide variety. I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking about yeah. which beer we might need to get for you at the finish line. <laughs> uh, well. I've not had an Erdinger in a while, actually. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, well, we'll see if we can get you an Erdinger. <laughs> um, but if not, you might need to give us a little rider so we can have something waiting for you at the finish. That's a great idea. Um, we'll we'll make it happen. <laughs> so so you, 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 your charity is called Stand Against MND, right? Uh, which stands, it is. And so that the acronym of that is SAM, Sam. Yeah, so that's that's good. Easy to remember. That's another thing I have to uh, I have to credit Emma with. She came up with the name. And a fabulous job. Yeah, it's um, good. Thank you for remembering to mention that. You'd think that I'd uh, I'd remember to get my own plugs in, wouldn't you? But you know. well, um, we'll we'll make sure it goes in the show notes as well. So hopefully the listeners will be as generous as some of your friends and. If everyone that's listening puts a hand in the pocket and donates a pound, that'll be uh, that, that'll be just another little step forward, won't it? Every every single donation matters. Um, not, not not that I'm suggesting they should stop at a pound, listeners. By the way, if you want to donate more, um, none of us are going to uh, turn that down either. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and we've, you know, some of the fundraising things we've done haven't. Uh, you know, they haven't raised enormous amounts, but it's like it gets that awareness. So we've written, uh, collaborated with my brother-in-law who kind of has a hobby illustrating children's books. Then we've written a couple of children's books about the relationship between myself and my niece, Lily, um, and how 
you know that relationship has changed but it's still it's still kind of um i still impact her life and i still uh, mm-hmm. collaborate with her on stuff so we've got uh, children's book which is called lily and sam uh which and is also available on our website standagainstmd.com see i'm remembering you're getting the hang of it now aren't you yeah, there now you see, yeah. Can't uh, be speaking in hashtags in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and we we created a, an art project. So on Instagram, we did sketch against MND. So people would draw their own interpretations of of the word strength, and then people would bid on them and send them out. That raised a couple of thousand quid and getting people to go out and fundraise and do things virtually, it really made us um, mm-hmm. kind of stretch the grey matter for how to keep bringing the money in. But the, yeah, the tri- my triathlon challenge was one of the, um, the first things that I wanted to do when COVID really did... Uh, kick that down the road and you're absolutely right Tim that there were times during COVID that I'd kind of sit and think maybe that dream's not going to happen again maybe it's maybe that's gone maybe that's not going to happen but you know thankfully we've, I've managed to uh, adapt and keep it alive and I'm I'm, uh, I'm very excited for the 15th of May well, the, that that date could see two dreams that you didn't think going to happen happen, couldn't it? If Forrest get promoted, no, oh, you never know. You never know. Well, let's 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 talk about um, May the fifteenth. Then tell us exactly how um, um, how it's going to work, and w- listeners, and particularly those who are going to be at the race, either as spectators or as competitors, what what they're going to be able to see on the course. Okay, so. The original plan was for me to be do like the full kind of team point that we've seen happen before. So I was going to be towed in a boat, pushed on an adapted bike, and then pushed around the run course. Um, unfortunately, um, my increased dependence on the ventilator means that sitting in a boat on a lake and Going out into the uh, into the rurals of Nottinghamshire on the bike are ill advised. So what we're doing a relay challenge. So it's called the Team Team Sam, and the whole the whole challenge is called One More Try. So that's obviously T R I rather than T R Y. Um, and on the course of the day. My swimmer uh, is a young lady called Steph Cobb, and uh, she's um, one of the most determined people I've ever met in the world of triathlon. She did the full out low last year, actually, to raise funds for the charity. She's in her early 20s. And when I asked her to do the swim, she kind of she said she'd be honoured to do it but just doing the swim wasn't she said just doing the swim's not hard enough really so could I can I tow a boat with your body weight and 
<laughs> okay. And I went, well, I'll, I'll ask the outlaw organisers, but if they'll let you, then I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> so she's been practising uh, swimming up and down the river saw, towing a uh, paddleboard with her mum and her brother on it. Um, which is, I've had some very funny videos from that. She's been, so she's been swimming up and down the river over the last few months? Yeah, well, I think the last month or so she's been wow. doing it properly um, with, uh, yeah, with a with a mum and a brother sitting on a paddleboard behind her. I, I don't know what's hardest then, trying to do that or doing it in sort of 10 degrees? No, no, I've... Uh, She's a bit of a she's a bit of a lunatic, to be honest. She won't mind me saying that either. Well, Steph, if you're listening, make sure that you uh, send a note in, please, in response to Sam. She's not listening. <laughs> she's not listening. She's halfway across the North Sea right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her swimming's good, but her direction finding's not. <laughs> yeah, jumping out the back of a stroller in the English Channel. <laughs> Great. So you so you've got Steph on the on the swim part, towing yeah. towing towing your body weight. Yeah. Then she's going to pass the time and chip on to my cyclist, who is my stepdad, who, you know, I had that conversation in the pub with all those well, years ago. You, yeah, I was going to ask you. I thought, I thought I'd recognise something in the um, stuff that Tim sent me. So that's the same guy that you, you were chatting to before you became a triathlete. Yeah, so he's been... Uh, I always remember in his office on his walk without a house when he when he first moved into the house when I was like 14 he had this um poster and it was a it was like a heron trying to eat a frog. So the frog's in the heron's mouth. But the frog's got its arms out of the side of its mouth and it's got its hands around the heron's throat so the heron can't swallow it. And the caption is never, ever, ever give up. And he he personifies that picture. He's just kind of um, just massively determined with everything and a really big positive impact on my journey with triathlon, you know, constantly telling me that I can and that I'm giving me that positive feedback about getting better and fitter and... You know, because there's times when you start and you're really, really heavy and unfit and you kind of run 300 yards up the road and you have to stop and you, you're you at that point of, oh, bugger this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I've had enough. And he was the one who was kicking me and going, look, you've gone out the door, you run 300 yards. Next time you run 400. So... Keep going, you'll get there. So just positive encouragement. So I wanted to ask him to do the bike ride. Um, yeah, and he's like he's sixty, he's sixty-seven now, but he's still got a six-pack. He's ridiculous. So. so sorry, Sam. What's what's his name? Nick Rawling. Nick Rawling. Okay. And he'll be doing he'll be doing the bike ride. Yeah. The main thing that people there on the day will see is me. When he comes back, he's passing the time in chip on to me and me doing the run leg of the, of the race. 
So the way that I'm going to do that is in a adapted running wheelchair that's going to be pushed by various uh, various people who've been involved in my journey at various stages, I suppose, but that have all shown kind of interest, support and backing to myself, the charity, uh, or my, my kind of journey in triathlon. Well, so I actually, um, I'm doing five laps of uh, the lake which will be just over the distance. And on each lap, there will be three uh, three different people sharing pushing duties. So, Sam, I, uh, any triathlete that's been doing the sport for a while um, would probably have reflected on the fact that they couldn't do it without a support team. Um, so I think it's really... I think it's really good that you're mentioning who's helping you now and perhaps it's more obvious for you because it's a relay team and you need people to push a chair around on the run. And perhaps for a lot of triathletes, it isn't quite as obvious to them that they have a support team. Um, but, but I think any of us have, who've got to finish line, particularly on a long distance race, um, if, if we look back, you'd probably end up writing a list of that, that was as long as a, you know, as long as your arm. So let's, um, how many of the other support team people can you mention? You mentioned your wife several times, so we ought yep. to perhaps uh, say, um, give a big shout out to Emma. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, who else is in that team that you want to recognise? So they, Emma and my sisters will be doing a lap together. So my sisters, Victoria and Rebecca, they'll be doing the final lap. Um, Tori and Rebecca, they're both my older sisters, so I'm the uh, I'm the baby of the group. So yeah, they uh, they've supported me always, really, through all sorts of stuff. And um, they've actually both got into fitness in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really nice to have them alongside me. I've um, I've got three of my close friends who have all given triathlon a go following my kind of my jump into the sports there's my brother-in-law Glenn uh, one of my best mates Richard another one of my best mates Glenn, uh, Greg so they'll be doing the first lap um, I've got a, a lap with members of Nottingham Forest. Oh, so wow. I've got a, a couple of former players. Um, Jack Hobbs, who was a central defender for us about five to ten years ago, I suppose. Uh, there, is a, there is a risk that they're going to go down feigning injury halfway through that, though. So... <laughs> <laughs> you might need an extra pair of physio uh, on on call. Well, I've seen for if 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 they have the true spirit of the forest defenders of the past, they won't. They'll be the ones knocking people over if they <laughs> if if they're like Kenny Burns or Larry Lloyd. Just push them into the lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get out of the way. Uh, Jason Lee's going to be there. Oh, Jason! Oh, he's got a pineapple on his head. No, 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 not in twenty twenty two. 
No. Well, that's what we all remember him from the song, wasn't it? Uh, uh, it's, uh, yes. But that's the Jason Lee that I'm thinking of, though. That is the Jason Lee, yeah. It was made famous by, um, yeah. Well, Skinner and Badil. Skinner and yeah. Badil, right. So apologies, Jason, if you're listening to that. I just wanted my to make sure I was thinking of the same person. So Jason right. Lee. Yeah. You've got a few apologies to go to catch up with Skinner and Badil. <laughs> um, and they will be joined by a guy called Simon Fotheringham. Simon, Simon is the um, commercial manager at Forest. He's been a massive help to me since I was diagnosed. And he's also the vice chair of the Nottinghamshire MND Association. Um, so he does loads of fundraising. His dad uh, was diagnosed and um, died of the disease during COVID, um, having suffered with it for about 17 years, I think. Uh, and he's just a constant support. So really, really big shout out to Simon. He's a really good guy. Okay, um, so that, that's three laps as far as I can, um, my, if my maths is right. Yeah, we have some, uh, we will have some triathlon uh influencers, I suppose. Yeah. And for want of a better word, so uh good man Tim at the bottom of the screen. He's the biggest is influencer there. around is Tim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah Tim has been on this particular challenge ever since I met him he's given his time to uh to the cause and to helping me try and raise as much uh awareness and spread the word of what we're trying to do which hopefully leads itself to funds so he's uh well he's always been willing to help so he's a really been a really big help um and the other one that we've got whether we've got confirmed is a guy called dave or you might know simon dave is no, one of the dave dave manning oran yeah dave manning oran yeah so well, he's he one of the guys He's he is an outlaw legend, and um, up until well, up until COVID, Dave was one of the three last men standing with Gary Gocher and um, oh, embarrassingly, I can't remember the other person's name now. He's an army chap from the army. Um, I'll think of it anyway. Dave had to bow out of that challenge due to some family COVID illnesses that he were more important to him, and I think we all give him the respect for that making that tough decision, but. Uh, yeah, so it'd be nice to see Dave then on the on the course. He is a, he is a proper part of the outlaw history. Absolutely, he's he's going to be doing the full race. Yeah, then once he's finished on his own, he's going to be joining in there. Well, he's assuming he's assuming that he's going to be ahead of you. That's a big assumption of him to make. Well, he's actually he's a bit worried about that. Actually, so <laughs> if I see him on the course, I'll be. Uh, how many laps you got left, Dave? Yeah. Well, you might be waiting for him then. It might be, yeah. You never know. <laughs> it would be a first for me at the Outlaw. I never managed to get in there. Don't think I ever managed to get in front of him. So you've got you've got Tim, Dave, Big Dave, Mano, and um, one more. Um, the other one is TBC at the minute. Ah, the old TBC. That that no, athlete TV. comes that that athlete comes up quite a lot on start lists. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm hoping to have somebody with a bit of uh, 
a bit of pedigree behind them, but we're not able to confirm at the minute. Okay. Well, okay. We are going. We're going to need someone with a bit of pedigree. If all you've got is me, a bloke who may not be there because he's still on the race course doing his own race, <laughs> so you're going to have to get someone to push you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other the other one who's an option is somebody who can sub in from another lap. It's a chap called Matt Julia. Oh yeah, Matt. Matt. Um, he's a tri coach, isn't he? Matt? I'm in contact with he him is. quite a bit on Facebook. Yeah. He is, and he when I first started making a bit of noise about wanting to do this he got in touch immediately and uh, on Facebook and offered to do the whole thing um, offered to be Rick Hoy I think to do the whole race for me um, and he's, he's then continued to be in touch throughout throughout Covid you know asking if it's still going ahead so I wanted to kind of say thank you to, to him for actually being one of the noises that made me think, actually, I could still give this a go and not kind of drop it completely. Mm-hmm. But he's done a lot of fundraising for the MNDA as well previously, so it's nice for him to be involved. Okay, so I've, still got, I've still got two empty spaces on my list. Are they TBCs as well? No, I've got them. So there's a, there's a lady called Anna Critchley. Anna. Anna Critchley. Yep. Uh, she is my occupational therapist. So she's done loads of adaptations around the house. And I'm not really a typical MND patient because I'm I'm like, I want to do things all the time. So I, I do make her life quite difficult. But she lives in Lady Bay and she does a lot of running and I just, a bit of a thank you to get her involved. And the other guy is somebody I used to work with who is a professor at Sheffield Hallam University. Mm-hmm. His name's Steve Hake, OBE. And he is one of the um, kind of forefathers of sports engineering. So his department do a lot of work for British cycling and the UK sport through their Olympic programmes and he was very interested in the design of the wheelchair that we're using and helping with that. So he's been a bit of a, a sounding board throughout that process. He's also a he's also one of these very strange people who runs ultra marathons for fun. For his um, I think for his fiftieth birthday he went and ran round Anglesey. Like you do. And that, that's never made sense to me. Just I'm, right, it's too much. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think, yeah. Okay. Well, well, that's fantastic then. So, what, what a support team you've got there. There's going to be a even, even if no spectators stay around for the finish, you're going to have a lot of people waiting on the finish line to cheer you across, aren't they? So, um, we Absolutely. might have to give we might have to give them one side of the finish gantry, and then everybody else on the other side. <laughs> Yeah, we'll uh, we'll sort it out somehow. Okay, so I'm I'm not even going to assume I'm not even going to say you know what happens if you don't make it. I know you're going to make it based on the sort of um, the mindset you've uh, demonstrated all, already. But I, I do want to ask, you, you know, um, um, apologies if you've mentioned this before, but just for clarity, where do you get that mindset from to persevere? I mean, you've had so many setbacks. Obviously, getting the news in the first place, then setting up this challenge, and then 
on off on off we can go out no you can't go out all that stuff with covid races are here races aren't here you know you could have given up so many times and you've cut you've you've um highlighted emma as being a central part of this as well but where is that something deep down inside is that something you learn in your outlaw training do you think or is it something you've always had um i think i think i've probably always had it i think long distance try trading makes anybody who does it aware that they've got it there's a great line that Chrissy Wellington used to say in one of her training tapes that I used to use where she said, your limits may not be where you think they are. That always just stuck with me. Um, and throughout triathlon, I was always amazed that I was able to push myself that bit further and do that bit more. And I think... Um, you know, after you know, after diagnosis, you've got the initial just enormous kind of shock. Then you've got a like two or three months of not really, not coping brilliantly. Really, I don't think. Um, and then, I guess for me, it was almost thinking, well. When you've got this sort of condition, like every day is your best day that you've mm. got left. Mm. Like it only moves in one direction. So I will never be as physically able again as I am today. Well, you know, you know what they say, Tim. Uh, sorry, Sam. I'm not as good as I. No, I'm not as good as I used to be, but I'm good as but I can be as good as I used to be once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think um, it's just kind of that make that flick the determination into right. Make them like that old cliche. Make the most of every day. Um. So because. I'm not going to get another chance. So it's not, there is no, oh, I'll, I'll pull out of next week and, and do it. I'll enter next year's outlaw. But, you know, that could be the mindset and it can't be anymore because, you know, I was chatting with one of my carers yesterday and talking about a film that I want to see, but it's not coming out it's not coming out for 18 months <laughs> right and my and my brain immediately goes to the thought that immediately springs into my mind is i really hope i live long enough to see that yeah so i the determination is just right I can't control really whether I live long enough to see that. But I can, if I if I am still here, I'm definitely going to see it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, I'm not going to think, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling well enough to go to the cinema. I'm going. I'm going to the IMAX. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I've got machines all around me. I'm, I'm watching it. 
Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't know. That's and it's. I think. Uh, yeah, it's definitely Emma's fault. Was she uh, that conversation of you do whatever you want to, and we will make it happen? It's like right, fired it away then. Yeah. Mm. Just um, and it makes my mum worry, which is you know every uh, every man's job, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But your mum's got to worry about you. <laughs> yeah, good one, Tim. You had your hand up. How do you? How do you? How do you ask for help, Sam? Because clearly, practically, you have to ask for a lot of help now. And and how does that affect you emotionally? I think it's something that at first was quite difficult. Hence, trying to fix my own curtains in my hospital <laughs> room. Um, it's kind of that sense of personal pride of wanting to do it. But I I think personally I kind of gave in in a way I gave in to the disease quite quickly. I don't I don't fight it. Like if I had a wheelchair in the house three months before I needed one because I was accepting of the fact that I'm not gonna be able to walk. Some people will deny and deny and deny needing that wheelchair until the day that they can't walk and there isn't one in the house. Uh, so I think when you when I kind of flicked into that mindset, you, I um, very quickly got used to asking for help. I find it more difficult asking for help from people who are um, who find it more difficult to provide it. So paid carers, they're here to do a job. I will, I'm very happy to ask them for anything, but if I'm, if it's four o'clock in the morning and I need a bit of help with chest physio, I will find it very difficult to ask that carer to wake Emma up to come and help me. Because that is, um, you know, Emma still does a full-time job and I don't want to rob her of sleep. So that's difficult. That's emotionally difficult. But, Thankfully, we've been very good so far at putting the structures around us to mean that we kind of minimise how much I have to ask for that sort of help, I suppose. Um, I, have a, I have a question for you around preparing for the race. You've talked about the logistics and everything else. Um, have you actually been out in your chair with the ventilator, with those people who are in your support team, have you done any preparation with them so that they, they get a feel for what it's going to be like running and, and you get a feel and, you know, you've got to condition yourself to do this? You'd think so, wouldn't you? You'd think that'd be a really good idea, wouldn't you, Simon? I'm a coach. Always yeah. be prepared. Yeah. Um, Actually, let me, let me give you some context there because I did a call with Kyle and Brent Pease. So... 
they're the brother and they're the two brothers who, I mean, you could probably like them to team Hoyt if you like, and that's what they're doing now. And Brent was saying, yeah, it's important. Kyle talks about going out training with his brother. So he's sitting in the wheelchair there and he said, but I have to get used to nutrition and keeping myself hydrated for Ironman. So he said, it's important for us to go out training together. And I suppose that's part of their brotherly bonding as well. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, I would have, I would have done a lot more, but um, getting the chair has been has been one of the biggest challenges. Right. Uh, actually, about ten minutes before we came on the call, I've just had the first photos of it, having been the adaptations are pretty much finished, and they're hoping to ship it to me in the next week or so. So that will then allow some practice. So one of my jobs after we after we finish our podcast is to get in touch with, uh, with all of the people that I've just mentioned and say, when do you want to come around and uh, have a go pushing this chair before the day? Don't feel guilty that I've pushed you into this, Sam. Now, it was, it was the it. plan anyway, Simon. <laughs> Okay, well, look, let's let's just fast forward, right? I, I don't normally like to do this, but I am now because I've, I've sensed from um, what we talked about this afternoon, there's no way this isn't going to happen. So when you come down that finishing shoot, I, I want you to know what, what music, we, we want to know what music you want us wow. to play because um, we've got some DJs coming. I want to know what, I'm going to be on the mic, right? I'm not going to let anybody else do it. And I want to know how you would like me to announce you. Do you want me to mention, I'm going because I'm going to have to start from the finish of the, the start of the shoot, aren't I, to get everybody's names in, so I can get your name in as, as you cross the line. So you, you, you don't. Have, if you don't know now, you can send me a script. But if you've got an idea of, of what you'd like like me to say, then you know, if you'd like me to tell a joke or to tell one of your famous stories or read out the Nottingham Forest football score, I can do that as well. I think I would like you to. When I first met Tim. Um, one of the reasons that I told him I was so desperate to do it was uh, because of the um, that that supportive and welcoming nature of triathlon fans, triathlon participants towards their fellow competitors. That that kind of community spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like the people that were there to make as much noise as physically possible and to really kind of feel that that support down the finishing shoot because it's not gonna it's not the sort of challenge physically that it was. I said to Ian actually that um Ian Hamilton, I said I've never have uh, I don't think I'll ever have enjoyed your events as much as I'm going to enjoy this because it's. I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to be as knackered as I normally am coming down <laughs> to finish. The so yeah, as much noise as possible, and I think I'm going to have to come back to you on the music. You you do that. So um, listen. Yep. And just to mention, just to mention the charity, to mention. Mention one more try to to make sure that people know why I'm doing it. 
Okay, well, uh, if I mention the charity, at least one of us can be um, trusted to remember what it is then, Sam, and make sure we get it out there, eh? Uh, Tim? Yeah, that, see, that's the, that making a noise is, is not just around the finish shoot, though. It's when you're, when you're actually doing the laps as well, because I know we spoke this before about you want people that's going past you to give you a cheer. You, that's part of what you want to be doing as well. You want to be celebrating yeah. what they're doing and, 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 you know, cheering them on as well. Um, cause when we spoke to you, Sam, about when you've did Ironman in the past, that kind of on course camaraderie with the other people taking part in the events and just kind of helping people on. I remember you told me that one story about a guy that you walk around with a marathon to get him through those first half 15 miles or whatever it was of that marathon, yeah. you know, um, supporting one another. So I think anyone who is going to do it, who didn't passes the chair during the event, just, uh, just give a shout out and you'll definitely get some coming back the other way. Absolutely. And you never know, we might overtake the odd runner, <laughs> which um, which never used to happen to me off run courses. <laughs> Only ever went backwards. <laughs> well, so if you are listening and you're doing the outlaw or you're spectating, you've got your instructions, make noise when you see Sam and his team on the, mm-hmm. the run section and then come to the finish line and then replicate that with everybody else to make as much noise as possible. Thus drowning out Kyle and Louise's tears hitting the ground and drowning out my poor attempt at welcoming everybody to the finish line. How does that uh, sound, Sam? It uh, sounds awesome, mate. It's going to be a uh, a very special day, I think. Um, don't know whether I'm quite ready for it. Like uh, Emotionally, I think it might take me by surprise. Mm, well, I don't think you'd be the only one. No. All right. Well, Sam Perkins, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I look forward to seeing you again in a few days' time. Um, Tim, uh, I look forward to welcoming you to uh, Home Pierpont for your uh, one glory lap or one third of a glory lap um, supporting Sam. Um, And, uh, yeah, listeners, if you, uh, as I said, if you're going to be there racing or spectating, make an attempt to go and say hello to Sam or Tim or me, and definitely make an attempt to be there on the finish line. And if you're not doing either of those, then try and get down to come and watch if you live locally. Thank you, Simon. And um, I think as well, hoping that we'll have links to the uh, to our website and uh, mm. fundraising page Excellent. alongside this. Yeah, it'd be great. So, yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll put we'll put all those on. We'll definitely put all those on the show notes so they go out and. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure that we're going to be doing something around it for the outlaw as well. I know too. I'll make sure of that. So, gents, it's been an absolute pleasure. See you again in a few days' time. Fabulous. Thank you, Simon. Thanks, Ed. Thank you to Sam and Tim for being guests on this week's High Performance Human Podcast. As usual, you can find links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below, including the charity that Sam started to help with his fundraising we jokingly said in the podcast that if everyone who listened donated a pound that would be a nice contribution but obviously if you can stretch to five or ten pounds that's even better if you're going to be at the outlaw half as an athlete support crew or interested spectator please make an effort to give sam a big cheer because he's going to give one back to you and also i urge you to come down to victory alley to welcome sam across the finish line one more time and please please do share this podcast with your friends it's emotional but it's inspirational 
you know I keep trying to find you inspirational guests to listen to and to help you with your own pursuits. And to make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and subscribe. Right, that's all for now. Hopefully I'll see you at the Outlaw Half in a few days' time. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week and I will see you also on the next episode.